Der deutsche Spargelkult müsse enden. Germany's beleaguered defense minister has temporarily dropped his PhD Deutschland ist eine Perle der deutschen Industrie. Und ich glaube, das kann man nicht sagen. Ich weiß, wie viel Liebe dahinter steckt. Wenn Glühweinstände aufgebaut werden, wenn Waffen... Spargelweltmeister ist China, denn die bauen sich... Hi, it's Michelle. And this is Ted. And welcome back to another episode of Spaßbremse. So today, I think we're bringing you really another like great test case for the overarching thesis of this podcast. We said on our alternative medicine episode that homeopathy may be one of the best examples of the contrast between Germany's very outwardly rational and scientific image and a bit more of a science skeptical reality. So today we're talking about abortion and really in the same way that alternative medicine reveals the gap between this like scientific culture myth and the reality, Germany's very restrictive abortion laws demonstrate the gap between Germany's outwardly liberal perception and a deeply conservative reality about how the actual laws around this topic are in the country. And as we've discussed before, Germany really looms large as a liberal utopia, especially in the Anglosphere, when people think about the country. But the reality is actually far different from that. I think often Germany gets kind of lumped in with the Nordics in several ways. But in this case, it's actually a lot more like conservative parts of the U.S. with mandatory abortion counseling, uh, long waiting periods and a scarcity of providers in some areas. And so it's a lot more similar, really, to these conservative areas than it is to its more liberal neighbors in Western Europe. Exactly. Like Ted said, on this particular social issue, I think people outside of Europe really conflate Germany with, say, the Netherlands, another liberal neighbor, a country where abortion has been legal since the 80s and women can terminate a pregnancy on demand. When actually, in order to get an abortion in Germany, women face extreme stigma, significant financial obstacles, and you guessed it, onerous bureaucratic hurdles. This year, Germany celebrated 150 years of paragraph 218 of the Penal Code, which criminalizes abortion. The termination of a pregnancy is nestled in right next to murder and manslaughter in the German criminal code. We'll get into the specifics of the law later in the episode, but for now, it's important to know that there is another paragraph further complicating access to abortion care. This paragraph in the criminal code 219a enshrines a Nazi-era ban on advertising abortion. Prior to a slight adjustment of 219A in 2019, doctors could not even advertise, for example, put on their website that they perform abortions whatsoever. Following a reform of the law in 2019, doctors can now inform their patients that they offer these services, but are not allowed to provide any details whatsoever regarding methods, things you may need for aftercare, etc. And by advertise, this just means like state that they offer it, right? It's not like they're putting commercials on the TV or like billboards. Like it's No, not like, no, exactly. Yeah. It's just listing it as a service on their website, for example, next to regular patient care. And yeah, like I said, you know, this is a really great episode. It's actually our first Spaßbremse with two separate interviews in one episode, um, both of which are conducted by Michelle very expertly. And for the first one, Michelle spoke to Kate Cahoon, a pro-choice activist from the Bündnis für Sexuelle Selbstbestimmung, the Alliance for Sexual Self-Determination, I guess that translates to. And later, Stephanie Schlitt, who is a board member of the organization Pro Familia. It's a network of counseling centers. And yeah, Michelle did a really phenomenal job finding these guests, and, and she does a great job leading these. You know, um, the last thing this country needs is another white dude talking about abortion. So this is probably enough of that. On to Kate Cahoon. We have a very special guest today. Kate Cahoon is a pro-choice activist here in Berlin. Thanks so much for taking the time, Kate. Thanks for having me. 
To start off, could you tell us about the Bündnis für sexuelle Selbstbestimmung? Yeah, sure. Um, the Bündnis für sexuelle Selbstbestimmung is a pro-choice alliance uh, that's been around for about um, 10 years now, give or take. And we started by organizing um, counter-protests actually to the um, so-called March for Life that happens in Berlin every year. It's an annual event and people travel from around Germany and from other countries um, to protest against abortion rights. Um, and so we decided um, that, yeah, we weren't happy with that happening <laughs> in our city. And um, so lots of different groups came together and started to organize very colorful, empowering, exciting um, counter-protests. And yeah, the coalition is made up of um, different political parties, counseling services, some union groups are involved, and also lots of activists who yeah, just commit their time and energy to the cause. So yeah, awesome. that's us. <laughs> and what are the Alliance's demands? So the main demand that we've been focusing on for the past few years is the full um, legalization of abortion in Germany, uh, because as yeah, a lot of people actually don't know, abortion is still technically illegal in this country, um, even though if there are certain if a certain number of conditions are met, then it is possible to get an abortion, um, but it's technically a crime, and we think that that acts as an unnecessary barrier to abortion access. So we demand uh, legal abortion for everybody that needs to be free and safe and easily accessible. That's our main demand. But we also uh, look at different aspects of sexual self-determination and reproductive justice, like uh, free contraceptives for everybody, access, adequate access to, to health services, uh, sexual education in schools for young people, and also various different aspects of uh, LGBTIQ rights and struggles um, for, for trans people and queer people as well. They're also at the center, center of our, our fight. So basically a range of issues, but definitely abortion access is, is the one we've been focusing on in the past few years because it's been really uh, in the public, in the center of public attention. Yeah, definitely. Maybe let's skip to this question right now because you wrote a great article in the local Germany back in 2018 when the abortion debate was flaring up, uh, so to speak. What led to this reinvigorated discussion about reproductive rights? Yeah, I was so um, infuriated when I wrote that article <laughs> because I couldn't believe the debate that we were having. Um, it was it was started by a doctor um, who was prosecuted for having information about abortion on her website, very basic information, just saying that she offered abortion services and what people who face an unwanted pregnancy need to bring along or need to be aware of when they have an appointment. And that was already enough to get her prosecuted uh, for providing that information uh, because it's not allowed. The German is a subsection of the German law, 219A, that says that doctors are not allowed to advertise their services, their abortion services. But of course, this was just about the provision of information. And already, yeah, that was, that was something that was seen as a taboo. And then there was a a big outcry because I think a lot of people weren't aware of this of this particular regulation, and it seems absurd that in the internet age where you can get information about pretty much anything on the internet, whether you want to know about it or not, um, something like information about abortion services is is not allowed. So there were there were public protests. There was a big petition that got a lot of signatures um, demanding for that law to be scrapped. And there was definitely a political window where we were, uh, as a movement, and where it was so much in the public debate that we, it looked like we were going to be able to, to have that law scrapped, actually abolished. That was our demand, and it was considered in Parliament. But unfortunately, uh, it was only reformed, and the reform that was carried through was a minor improvement, but essentially it didn't it didn't improve the situation at all. So doctors are still very limited in the information that they can provide, uh, and there are doctors that are still being prosecuted under this law today. So it wasn't really adequately addressed. So the where things currently stand in terms of this paragraph two nineteen a is that it was reformed, and with that they kind of took it off the docket, said we did something about that. But as you're describing the actual situation. 
it has not become easier to access abortion. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. They basically provided more centralized information. So there is a list now of abortion providers and the services that they provide, but the, the service providers still can't provide that information themselves or only in a, an extremely limited way. So they can't provide detailed information about the methods that they use or the costs involved or yeah, any other information that they might want to provide. Okay. Um, if we could kind of do a general overview of the history. We talked about this one specific subsection of a law, but what are the main laws on the books that regulate the pre- termination of pregnancy in Germany? So 218 of, of section 218 of Germany's criminal code is the part that regulates abortion. Uh, and it's uh, against it's in the section on crimes against life. And it very clearly states that abortion is, is seen as a crime against life and that those who are seeking abortion should be encouraged to follow an option which upholds the pregnancy. And there are several sections in the law which sort of reiterate that fact. Essentially, this paragraph has been around for 150 years. It was put in Germany's criminal code back in 1871. And so this year was the 150th anniversary, which we, wow. um, we, we tried to draw attention to with a public uh, campaign. And the section 219 was actually added in 1933 by the Nazis uh, who were wanting basically to exacerbate the situation and make it even more restrictive. So, so these laws have been around for a long time and they're definitely not appropriate anymore if they, if they ever were. <laughs> um, and so those are the laws that feminists and progressive movements in Germany have actually been fighting against for, for over 100 years essentially. Yeah, we're continuing that struggle today, and it's it's still um, it's still a difficult topic to raise. There's still a lot of um, stigmatization around the issue of abortion, and yeah, the conservative parties are very happy with the current situation and aren't willing to see that the the situation is is becoming worse as well. Right. It's interesting too with the Nazis because they had the policy of forced sterilization for some sections of the population that they deemed unworthy and then at the same time forcing women to carry to term who maybe didn't want to right it's like so hard to wrap your mind around sometimes yeah it's i mean that's a key sort of tenant of fascism and in general part of the conservative agenda that 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 certain um parts of the population are encouraged to to have children and reproduce and others have to fight for access to to reproductive services and and for the right to have children so um, that's why it's important also to address address those aspects in our in our pro-choice struggle as well it's not just about the right to access abortion it's also about yeah making sure um, people can access reproductive services and also decide yeah whether they want to have children or not to be supported in that choice Yeah, I saw some of the materials on um, the Alliance's website that also included information about like the poverty gap and how some of the women most affected by these laws are actually poor women. Because if you're rich, you can always find some service to terminate a pregnancy. But if you're poor, it becomes that much more inaccessible. Um, So I think that's great that you talk about the different levels and really have these varied tactics. Yeah, abortion is a class issue and it, and it always will be essentially. And at the moment, one of the problems in Germany is that um, there aren't a lot of um, physicians and doctors that offer abortion services because they're operating in a grey area, a legal grey area, and because there isn't a lot of training available to medical students um, on abortion, providing abortions. So in some parts of Germany, it's very difficult actually to find a doctor that will perform an abortion. So that means that if you if you need to get a, an abortion within the time frame that that's required by the law, you might need to travel to another city. Um, and if you already have children, or if your job doesn't allow for that, then it, then it can become a real obstacle. So one of one of our key demands is also um, focusing on local abortion um, provision and making sure that that it's available to everybody in an accessible way. Definitely. Also, I wanted to ask, I'm super curious about the different approach taken by East Germany. Um, they had actually, I believe, legalized abortion. The, the marker of time 
in this law is 12 weeks, right, for um, paragraph 218. And East Germany allowed, without any restrictions, abortions up until 12 weeks. Is that correct? Essentially, in East Germany, there was a, a right, a guaranteed right to access abortion up until 12 weeks, um, which was explicitly recognized. Whereas in the current law and in West Germany at the time, it was in the criminal code, but not prosecuted, which is still basically what we have today. So when Germany was reunified um, and the laws were re-implemented and introduced in the in 19, early 1990s, the women in East Germany actually lost the right to, to abortion and yeah, experienced a considerable step back in terms of their reproductive rights, um, which had been more progressive under the East regi- regime than, than now. Okay. I would like to get into some of the peculiarities, perhaps, of pro-lifers here in Germany. Or I liked how you put it, actually, in your article, the uh, anti-choicers. <laughs> For example, in the U.S., where I'm from, you often encounter kind of these loud, obnoxious protesters outside of clinics that um, provide these services, such as Planned Parenthood. And I was wondering if you could share what tactics these anti-choicers across Germany gravitate towards, or perhaps more generally, what are you up against in the fight for abortion rights here? Yeah, the anti-choice movement in Germany actually is increasingly looking to the US to find new tactics and uh, takes inspiration from there. That's that's um, that's an official thing there. They're quite open about that. So this phenomenon of um, harassing people outside abortion clinics is actually starting to happen here too. It, it didn't happen for a long time and it's only in select regions of Germany. But in the last couple of years, there have been increasing numbers of incidences and specific times of the year around different religious holidays where um, small groups of people have been standing in front of um, Por Familia and other counselling services and abortion service providers using similar tactics as in the US with with small plastic fetuses, which uh, don't actually represent the the stage of development (laughs) um, that most abortions take place at. And, you know, shocking pictures and basically calling, calling abortion murder. So they've re- definitely radicalized uh, in that sense and have become more, more visible as well. Um, what we've, we've seen for years is definitely these organized marches that take place. Uh, the biggest one is in Berlin, but they also happen in, in, in different cities in, in Münster and in Augsburg and in other parts of Germany where a mix of um, its Catholics and Protestants in Germany and also yeah, more radical uh, groups and some, some far-right groupings as well that come together and protest against abortion rights, against gay rights. And they are certainly very well connected and well funded. And I think one problem that we faced at times as a pro-choice movement was People didn't take them seriously when they when they came to Berlin and, and had this march with their it's a silent march with giant wooden crosses through the city. A lot of people that I spoke to were like, oh, they're just, you know, that's just a bunch of crazy, crazy people from some backwater in Germany and um, they're not relevant. But but they actually are relevant. And since the AFD has been in parliament, they have they have a more official voice within within Germany's parliamentary system. And of course, they were already represented through the, the CDU and the CSU. Um, but the AFD is much more explicit about, about the abortion issue and, and actually, you know, is pushing for the already restrictive laws to become even more restrictive. Um, whereas the Christian Democrats were mainly sort of pushing for the current law to be upheld. So we're experiencing more and more sort of, yeah, aggressive political campaigning around the issue of abortion and obviously the public debate on 219A was something that these groups saw as a big threat um, because they mm. was they was they could see that the public opinion was was tending more towards a liberalization of the law. And so I think that was another yeah moment in which the anti-choices rallied together and organized more money to come in from, from other countries. I think a lot of the money does come from the US and from groups like Opus Dei and, yeah, to fund more anti-abortion campaigns, actions, groups, that kind of thing. 
so unfortunately, yeah, our our opponents are mobilizing, even though we've also done a good job at putting the issue on the agenda in the last few years and really pushing, you know, encouraging people to to be aware of the current situation and the fact that it could actually get worse if the wrong political parties come into power. Right. Let's talk about that a bit. Where do the other main political parties stand on the issue? I mean, we are in the midst of coalition talks. Do you see any hope for a real change or a repeal, rather, of this law? In the last few years, the opposition parties um, have generally had a clear position on abortion. Die Linke, the left party, um, has been the main party to to argue that abortion should be fully decriminalized. Uh, the Greens have clarified their position in the recent election campaign and are also in favor of decriminalizing abortion. The SPD is also committed to decriminalization, although there were some difficulties around 219A. It was because they didn't commit to, to supporting it that the law actually wasn't scrapped. You know, as, as opposition parties, we do have a lot of support for the decriminalization of abortion. And now with the after the elections, the results were actually possibly more favorable than we were expecting for, for certain issues around sexual self-determination. And there's a chance that if we get the coalition that's currently um, up, up for discussion at the moment, that at least 219A might be might be addressed. The FDP, who's who's joined the coalition talks, is also committed to um, to removing 219A from the criminal code, but they're very unwilling to talk about 218 and about the full decriminalization of abortion. I've been told that that they used to be in favor of decriminalization. The FDP used to be a more liberal, more socially liberal party than they are now, um, but at the moment it looks like looks like they wouldn't be up for considering that. So so if they govern with the Greens and the and the Social Democrats, we would have to do a lot as a movement, put on a lot of pressure and, you know, really make sure that we that we have public opinion in our favor to push for for 218 to maybe be addressed within this legislative period. So that's definitely our goal as a movement and as a pro-choice um, alliance. That's what we're going to be fighting for for the next few years. Yeah, I'm so excited to speak with you about this because I think people will hear about this and want to get involved and actually stay up to date on the work that the Bundes is doing because it could be a rare bright spot in this ampel, uh, this traffic light coalition if there was a change in this law, at least in 219A. So if somebody does want to get involved or um, stay updated with the alliance, how can they find you guys? Well, there are a few ways. Um, I started a petition with a fellow activist over change.org and we have uh, over 83,000 signatures for the decriminalization of abortion that we're hoping to hand over in the next few weeks. We want to meet with the government, uh, with the political parties that are looking to form government and make sure they know that we're expecting them to uh, at least have decriminalization of abortion on their, on their agenda. So, yeah, we, we want to do that as, as, a, as a rally as well, that people can come and join and support us. We haven't exactly set the date yet, but we'll be announcing it in the next few days. Um, if you haven't signed the petition yet, yeah, it's possible still to do so. It's change.org and the petition is weg mit 218. It's only in German at this point, I'm afraid. Um, and the Pro-Choice Coalition is on all social media channels as Bündnis für Sexuelle Selbstbestimmung, Pro-Choice.de on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, so you can follow us on all of those channels. Unfortunately, yeah, a lot of our communication is in German at the moment, which is just a capacity thing. We'd love to be more inclusive with different languages, um, but we're all yeah volunteers. So unfortunately, yeah, we don't always manage to to get our information out there in the most professional way. But we've really been basically overrun with <laughs> interview requests and um, media attention at the moment. So we're really starting to get the information out there and hopefully we'll be able to produce some more English English language content soon. Yeah, that's great. I know a couple of um, activist translators. Maybe I can send them your way and we'll definitely link to everything that you just mentioned in our show notes. Um, Kate, thank you so much for joining us here at Spaßbremse. That was a very enlightening discussion. <laughs> Thanks for the chat. Thank you. Yeah, so that was a really fascinating talk with Kate Cahoon. Um, I found the part about East Germany especially interesting with women actually losing rights and freedom after the wall came down. 
it's like a it's a great piece of evidence for this point that we keep coming back to on the show about German reunification and this idea that Germany isn't on this like unidirectional march of progress to greater freedom and equality and that merging of east and west 30 years ago wasn't all good for everybody some people really lost a lot including the right to more bodily autonomy for millions of women that's exactly right Something else Kate alluded to, but we didn't get to cover entirely, are these court cases. Um, There have been many of these. There are hundreds of court cases each year brought against gynecologists who perform and advertise or inform their patients of abortion services. And one of these cases that got a ton of media attention was Dr. Christina Hainel's case. Basically, in 2015, charges were filed against Dr. Hainel, and instead of pleading out the charges, which is what a lot of doctors tend to do, or they say, okay, I'll take the line down from my website, and that's it, message received. (laughs) But Dr. Hainel really pushed back against these charges and appealed. So her case went to the higher regional court in Frankfurt. Then this kind of change in the law happened in 2019, but the case is still ongoing and might even reach the federal constitutional court in Kaisruhe. So there is kind of this public interest specifically about 219A and whether it's compatible with the Grundgesetz, the like basic law in Germany. I was researching a bit about Dr. Hainel, and she actually received her further training for how to carry out abortions in the Netherlands. She wasn't even trained in Germany. Um, the case of Dr. Hainel exemplifies something that I talk about with Stephanie Schlitt in the second interview regarding lack of training opportunities for doctors in Germany and how that exacerbates the problem of restricted access to abortion care. And with that, let's roll the interview with Stephanie Schlitt of Pro Familia. Okay, well, welcome Stephanie Schlitt, member of the board of the Federal Association of Pro Familia. Thank you so much for making the time today. Thank you. I guess we'll just get started. What is Pro Familia and what kind of work does the organization do? And how is this work funded? Pro Familia is the German Society for Family Planning, Sexual Education and Sexual Counseling. And it was funded in 1952. And it's uh, Germany's largest non-governmental organization for counseling related to sexuality, pregnancy and parenthood. And Pro Familia counselors provide around 270,000 counseling sessions per year. One of third of those sessions uh, relates to pregnancy, including prenatal testing and also financial and social support. And then a bit more than a fifth is related to pregnancy conflicts, um, supporting pregnant people who are considering terminating their pregnancy or, or, or uh, who have already decided to have an abortion. Then we have another 44,000 people who come to our counselors for sexuality and couples counseling, or maybe 23,000 for contraceptive counseling. And other counseling areas include sexual health and infertility. We also provide um, specialized support to groups with special needs and requirements, um, including, for instance, people with disabilities and young and older people. And in addition to that, um, Pro Familia provides sexuality education in a variety of formats in and out of school, online and offline. And all in all, we advise and support around half a million people in Germany every year. Pro Familia also advises government at all levels, including through research, and we advocate for sexual and reproductive rights based on our grounding in the experience of, of people that our counselors talk to and also based on international human rights standards. We are basically a non-profit association and we're publicly funded by the federal government, by the state governments and by local authorities. The federal association gets money from the federal government and the counseling centers are funded regionally or locally and they raise some of their own funds as well. Okay, wow, that's a very broad array of services that Mm -hmm. you just covered. 
And today I am interested in the specific service of terminating a pregnancy. Uh And I was hoping you could walk me through kind of the general process of doing so in Germany. Uh Let's say that I find out I'm pregnant at seven weeks. What steps do I have to take? And where does Pro Familia, where do the Pro Familia counseling centers come into play? So if you're considering whether to terminate your pregnancy or if you've already decided to have an abortion, you can't just make a doctor's uh, or hospital appointment in Germany to have that abortion. The law requires that you go through what is termed the pregnancy conflict counseling beforehand. Um, People generally believe that in Germany there are no restrictions on access to abortion. If you're one of those people, you may find out out about the counseling requirement only when you see your gynecologist. And then depending on the duration of your pregnancy, you may need to move very quickly because access to an elective abortion is permitted only up to 12 weeks of pregnancy. That is sort of 14 weeks after your last menstrual period. Uh, Then there's a range of counselling options available, and that's really quite unique in Germany because the state funds those um, across the country. And these include confessional institutions, um, but also ones that have a a secular outlook. There are, however, also counselling centres that don't clarify in the public information that they're not actually entitled to issue the counselling certificate that you need when you want to access abortion services. So you may find out only while you're being counseled in such a center, and then you may have to book another counseling session with a provider that's actually able to issue a certificate. The counseling centers are equipped to enable you to have a counseling session speedily, normally within three days, and that really matters because you may have um, little time to to go through this process um, within the time limit um, that the law Provides. And then when you make your appointment, you'll be asked if the counselling needs to take place even more urgently, if, that, if that's um, an issue for you. The, the abortion may then take place only on the fourth day following the day of the counselling session. And this time lag is also a, a, a legal requirement. So in parallel, after the counselling, you need to go to a doctor's appointment. You need to get a doctor's appointment. And it's not so easy to find out where you can go because Doctors are limited to informing the public only about the fact that they provide abortion services. But if you want to find out by which method um, uh, of abortion, which method of abortion a doctor provides, um, up to which week of pregnancy, whether only to his or her own patients, or maybe also to you who are not um, a patient of this doctor already, then you may have to call up their office. Um, and likely you have to make one more than one such phone call until you find what you need. There is a list with information about abortion providers, but many doctors have declined to put information about their services on it. And so this list may not be useful to you in your local environment. Um, if you're receiving social benefit, the state pays for the abortion, but you have to make arrangements through your health insurance, and this takes time. If not, you have to make sure that you can pay between 200 and 600 euros, and getting this money together may take some time as well. Um, then, because fewer and fewer doctors provide abortion services, you may have a long way to travel to reach the doctor's office, and this travel needs to be planned, keeping in mind your medical needs after the procedure, but also other requirements, perhaps such as the need not to have to tell other people you're having an abortion, your care responsibilities, and and so on. And all this really adds up to an obstacle cause um, that no one with an unwanted pregnancy pregnancy is necessarily prepared for. And it's a lot of pressure really that isn't intrinsic uh, to undergoing an abortion, but is really solely due to the way that the law and public policy influence people's access to health information and services. It's, It's not easy to fit all of this into the period of time that you have I mean, I imagine it could be extremely difficult because sometimes it's even extremely difficult to find an appointment for a cold or um, a stomach flu. I find in Berlin. Mm, in that's true. That's true. And, and there you don't have the added complication of of uh, being unable to find out by doing an online search. No, so because doctors aren't right. able to perform fully about the services they provide, you really do have to make those phone calls and find out uh, who does what at the local level. And that's Imagine doing that in a, in the, you know, under pressure, possibly also, you know, with some level of discomfort, having to tell and retell your story again and again until you found what you're looking for, and and that's even before you then organize the travel to that place, which maybe 
a while away, given that there are fewer and fewer doctors providing abortion services. So you need to plan that travel. You need to keep in mind um, your medical needs after the procedure and also maybe other requirements that you have. Um, maybe you can't tell other people you're having an abortion. Maybe you have care responsibilities, etc. And all of this really adds up to an obstacle cause that no one with an unwanted pregnancy is necessarily prepared for. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you spoke about it a little bit, but are there really differences in ease of access to either counseling and abortion services in urban versus rural areas in Germany? Could you speak to that? Mm. Access to counseling is quite good across the country because federal law stipulates a ratio of one counselor per 40,000 population. So counseling access is, is, is pretty good. But by contrast, access to services really varies a lot between different parts of the countries. Not all rural areas have poor access. Some, some have comparatively good access, such as Schleswig-Holstein and Brandenburg. But some countries parts of the country have extremely poor access, for instance, parts of Bavaria and Baden-Württemberg, which are literally black stretches on the abortion access map. Overall, um, we know that there are fewer and fewer doctors who provide abortion services, and many of those who did and currently do have gone or are about to go into retirement and are finding it hard or impossible to find successors able and willing to provide abortions as part of the range of services they provide. And um, as a result, you know, service provision is really contracting. So, um, yeah, that really adds adds to the difficulty in finding somebody um, that you can turn to, um, multiplied by the fact that maybe not all doctors provide um, medical abortions versus surgical abortions. So, if you have a preference for either one of those, you you know, that may may be difficult too. How do counselors? in the pro-familia counseling services approach this discussion mm -hmm. surrounding Schwangerschaftskonflikt, the um, conflict of choice, as you said, while operating within kind of the legal constraints. Mm -hmm. Is there generally encouragement either to terminate the pregnancy or to carry to term? Um, the procedure and the content of pre-abortion counseling is regulated in great detail in the penal code and then the pregnancy conflict law. This is really quite unique in Germany. The assumption underlying the law is that every person contemplating terminating a pregnancy finds herself in a so-called pregnancy conflict. And according to the law, the mandatory counseling is to be, uh, in inverted commas, uh, guided by efforts to encourage the woman to continue the pregnancy. It is uh, to serve, um, to protect unborn life, but it's also meant to be open-ended, not to convince the pregnant person to continue the pregnancy. And you can see immediately, this is a difficult force field and a fine balance for counselors to navigate because the principles of good and ethically sound counseling dictate that counseling must be sought voluntarily and it must be guided by the needs of the person seeking the counseling. So at the beginning of the counseling session, our counselors explain that they will issue a counseling certificate at the end of the session, no matter how the pregnant person wants to use the session, and that there's no need to explain or justify oneself or to convince the counselor of anything. And then they ask the pregnant person how they want to use the how they want to use the counseling session um, and what they would find useful. So the counselors all have specialized training and um, they offer to share information or refer to more specialized counseling and social and financial support service. But if the pregnant person says this is not relevant to them, then the counselors do not insist. And this is broadly how pro familia counselors fill the legal mandate with life, but other counselors other providers of counseling service may may do that in a different manner. Okay, yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned the financial support because that is the next thing I want to talk about. I just saw a statistic today that the majority of women who terminate a pregnancy in Germany are actually already mothers, mm -hmm. about 59%. And I think our listeners are probably familiar with policies such as Kindergeld and Elternzeit, um, this kind of year where you can receive a portion of your salary after having a child and these policies designed to support families after the birth of a child. But my question is, even with this support from the state, do women often express concerns about their financial stability during these counseling appointments? We don't have statistics on this, but yes, they do. Um, during pregnancy conflict counseling, the insecure financial situation of the person being counseled often comes up in the context of reasons for seeking an abortion, though 
to be clear, women are not required to talk about their reasons. Nevertheless, many do. And then they mention, uh, they make clear that their financial situation is part of what concerns them about, you know, with regard to continuing or terminating the pregnancy. And during regular pregnancy counseling in general, we have more and more people seeking advice about possibilities for financial support, for instance, about how to apply for Elterngeld, how to apply to the Federal Foundation Mother and, Mother and Child, um, which provides additional support to people in need with regard to clothing, household items and childcare. So yes, these, these um, money problems come up quite a lot. And perhaps another problem just off the top of my head would be the housing issue. Mm. Um, if somebody is unable to access affordable housing, perhaps needing an additional room or two, if you're maybe even living in a studio and want to start a family, that the housing market just doesn't yeah. provide that right now. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine people speaking to that as well. Yeah, and there, I mean, the, the issue there is that our, our counselors really aren't social workers, so they can provide information about what what further support is available and refer to to uh, social services that can help with those kinds of concerns. But overall, that it does mean that the counselors get a pretty uh, compact overview of the kind of social, uh, including financial issues that that uh, that people bring with them. And and it just makes clear that pregnancy happens in a in a context where people live full lives with all sorts of challenges that are there before and after they find out that they're pregnant. And it's it's a very large, a very big equation that, that gets put on the table inside the counseling session. Right, definitely. I do want to go back to something you said it just occurred to me about it being more difficult in Bavaria and in Baden-Württemberg, um, two states in the south of Germany, traditionally more conservative states. What exactly is it that makes it difficult to access abortion in those states? We don't have very good information about that really it's all anecdotal so there is, is it may partly be a cultural issue um, uh, as you say of, of conservatism mm. it may be um, it, it may be uh, to do with a particular demographic structure there in the in the uh, among the doctors because as I said it's often to do with people going into retirement and not being unable to find uh, successors who will also provide uh, abortion services and there is a whole backstory there about inadequate training, medicals having to go, medical students having to go out of their way to get trained because many faculties teach only about the ethical and legal aspects of abortion and um, abortion being stigmatized instead of being seen as part of reproductive health care, it's really seen first and foremost as something that is illegal and puts the doctor in the purview mm -hmm. of the criminal law. So this makes it unattractive for young doctors, maybe without the political commitment to to uh, make sure women can access the full range of reproductive health service to take on this, what is essentially a burden to them, um, something that can put you in the firing line of attacks in your social environment um, or attacks by so-called pro-life activists. And so we really feel that unless and until the law um, is, is changed and um, medical education and society recognize that we need doctors willing and able to provide abortion services in line with the needs of people with unwanted pregnancies, then and, and that's until we value and support doctors providing these services, then doctors that do will have to will continue to have to go beyond the way of call of duty to make sure safe abortions are accessible. And that's really a lot to ask. And I suppose in those parts of the country, maybe that equation is uh, is stacked even more uh, against survivors there. And, um, you know, people, they feel unable to take on that burden. Yeah, that seems so critical that they wouldn't have kind of this... Um how do you say in English? Nachwuchs, the <laughs> the training for the for the young doctors to have that be completely lacking is um, quite worrying, definitely. And you mentioned this: the law in Pro Familia does call for a repeal of paragraph two eighteen. Um, in addition to this demand, what other changes, either at a societal or legal level? I mean, you just spoke about it a little bit. 
but what changes would make the most difference for women's sexual self-determination? Right. Maybe first to clarify, more precisely, Pro Familia calls for abortion to be regulated in a human rights and evidence-based manner as an essential reproductive health care service and not mainly through the lens of crime and punishment. So we don't just want the repeal of okay. paragraph 218, but we want we want the uh, a rights-respecting way of, of providing abortion services to be put in law and, and policy. So we feel that decriminalization is essential to destigmatization, and that's what we need in a society in which people can get pregnant, who can get pregnant, are no longer being treated paternalistically as second-class citizens, as if they had to be protected from themselves. So we believe that access to counselling relating to all aspects of sexuality, partnership, fertility, pregnancy, birth, parenting, family form, that counseling in this in this comprehensive manner is essential in a de democratic society because it can support people in deciding who and how they want to be, to flourish, to participate fully. But counseling must be voluntary and not mandatory like it is in terms of um, like this just now for when you want to access abortion service. And when, when counseling is voluntary, society is no longer paternalizing, but patronizing, but it enables the person being counseled, really. Then we want obstacle-free access to good quality abortion services, including a choice of methods without cost being a barrier. And then we think no one should have to forego effective contraception because they're unable to afford it either. And this is the case currently for some people in Germany who nevertheless, nevertheless fall outside of existing cost coverage arrangements, which are fairly limited. In general, we want to see people in Germany enjoy the full range of sexual and reproductive rights. And there's really still a lot of room for improvement, not least for refugees and migrants and also for intersex and trans people, for instance, in terms of access to information services that meet their needs in a rights-respecting manner. Many people um, in Germany are not free from gender-based violence. There's a lot to be done there. And fundamentally, we need to do better with regard to sexuality education, really, that enables people to appreciate and take care of themselves and of others. Wow, really well said. Thank you so much, Stephanie. There is a lot of work ahead of us, I would say, <laughs> yeah. on all fronts, like you mentioned. We've got our um, sleeves rolled up for sure. Yes, definitely. Stephanie Schlitt from Profamilia, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I want to say another Dankeschön to our lovely guests for their time and insight. We will link, of course, to further information about Profamilia and the Bündnis für sexuelle Selbstbestimmung in the episode description, so please check that out. There are some really great resources out there. And yeah, it was great to talk to both Kate and Stephanie. It does, unfortunately, sound like there is a long road ahead in regards to destigmatizing the medical procedure of abortion in Germany involving everything from changing the hearts and minds of doctors, improving med school curriculums, increasing state financial support for families, but repealing the laws 218 and 219 seems like a great place to start. The campaign, Weck mit 218, get rid of 218, actually handed over a petition today with 85,000 signatures. We're recording this on November 12th, 2021 to party representatives in Berlin. And that kind of segues into our closing thoughts on the subject. Ted, could you give us an update on how this debate is factoring into coalition talks? Yeah, definitely. Just just real briefly from an article I came across from Dave Brannick. Um, but I should say just, just really quickly, I mean, something I found really important in that interview was how she ties the right to abortion and reproductive rights with broader socioeconomic status. So we're talking, I'm just going to talk narrowly about these two laws, but I think there's also a broader question about like, can can the German government reduce some of these inequalities in areas of deprivation that like also place a huge burden on women and their health care? But yeah, just, just specifically, um, I would say it looks like 219A, the advertising law, looks more likely to be repealed than 218, uh, which is like the, the actual criminalization. And just quoting from this article in Euronews, 
The biggest stumbling block to abolishing paragraph 218 and keeping abortion out of the criminal code entirely is the liberal FDP, the only incoming party that did not commit to repealing the law in their election platform. Activist groups are continuing to pressure all three parties as coalition negotiations unfold. If I can just jump in there and say that the FDP was invited to this um, ubagaba, this handing over of the petition today and didn't even respond. So I think that other parties, of course, the SPD is going to be there, the Greens and the left party will all be there. Right. And this is, I mean, this also ties into a previous episode. We've talked about the FDP at various points, talked about Christian Lindner specifically on our subscriber feed and about how they try to present themselves as this libertarian party that's for all types of freedom, you know, personal, economic, so on. And yet they don't want to give women the right to self-determination over their own bodies. And I think that really supports our thesis about them, that this is not a liberal party. This is a, a right wing party. Um, how can you say you're libertarian if, you know, it's only it's only libertarian for, for business people and landlords and not for women. It just it doesn't add up. Just continuing here. For Germany's reproductive right activists, abolishing paragraph 219 would be an important victory. But as long as 218 remains, they'll have further work to do to ensure that reproductive rights are seen as within the domain of healthcare provision and not criminal acts. And to me, that's kind of the crux of this. Would you agree? Definitely. I mean, this entire issue should be framed as a healthcare issue, an access to healthcare issue, not as a criminal uh <laughs> Yeah, criminal punishment issue. Yeah. It's like it's pretty it's pretty ghastly that it's still at that level. And like we said, the FDP might be a stumbling block here, but luckily, um, it looks like the two other larger parties in government, the Greens and the SPD, are, are pushing for some kind of progress here. But that's all getting hashed out in the current Ample coalitions to see how the next government will be. We'll be keeping an eye on this subject as the talks come to a close in the new government forms so yeah absolutely and yeah thanks everyone for listening um hope you enjoyed yeah i want to thank our wonderful guests one more time it was really fun putting together this episode and that's all the spaß bremsen for today from me cheers quite quite a heavy <laughs> dose of spaß yeah, bremsen. Quite heavy. It's a big one <laughs> cheers Hey, it's producer Isaac here. That was your semi-weekly episode of Spaß Bremse. Thank you so much for listening. And just a reminder to please, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening and give us a review or share with your friends too, if you feel like it. You can also follow us on Twitter at spaßbremse underscore pod, where you can tweet us all your comments and complaints. That's at S-P-A-S-S-B-R-E-M-S-E underscore P-O-D. And we're also now on Patreon. So if you are able, your support over there would be greatly appreciated too. You can find us there at www.patreon.com slash If you weren't paying attention, that's totally okay. All this info is also in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and talk to you next time. Tschüss.